0: Welcome everyone. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, the luckiest man alive, but it's going to be a hard day today. Everybody ready for this? Don't panic, but Warren Weeks is not here today. Uh, We will be okay. We'll actually probably have uh, maybe heat. Uh, we'll turn the heat up a little bit. Uh, those of you who tried to get in the kitchen door and it was locked, Warren unlocks the doors. I think the last thing we said in staff meeting was I wouldn't lock doors today, but I got here just, you know, walked in like the rest of you with doors locked. So uh, we'll miss Warren. I, I don't know if he'll miss us. Warren's different, isn't he? I, I love Warren. I think he loves me back. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, he won't hug me when he gets back. You ever hugged Warren? I mean, I love Warren, but it's like hugging this TV. You know, it's, it's, it's like that. he's he's not a hugger there may be two kinds of people in the world huggers and and non-huggers people say that sort of thing that there are two kinds of people in the world people who make things happen and people who wonder what happened you ever heard something like that Uh, how would you finish a sentence there are probably two kinds of people in the world what would you say cat people and christians maybe no i'm kidding yeah i'm a dog person Cat people, dog people, people who eat their ice cream in a cone and people who eat their ice cream in a cup. How many cone people? How many cup people? Yeah, about 50, 50, something like that. Yeah, what else? Bath people or shower people? How many bath people in the house? Yeah, shower people? Yeah, lots and lots. And some of you worry me uh, raising, I'm, I'm wondering what you do. (laughs) Something with the hose outside, maybe. Uh, Something like that. As people, we are very accustomed to to distinguishing ourselves from one another. Two kinds of people in the world, and we can finish that sentence all day long. We can can divide each other up in in, in any number of ways. Do you think God does the same thing? When God looks at the world, does God see different kinds of people? The, The scriptures say that God doesn't look on the outside. God looks on the heart. And on the one hand, you would think that we would all be the same on the inside, but very, very honestly, God also sees only two kinds of people, and truly God is the one who sees us and knows us by the heart. And so therefore, God understands that there are really only two kinds of people in the world, the ones with faith and the ones without faith. God makes only those distinctions. He doesn't care about the color of your skin. He doesn't care about anything else that can be said or or not said about you. What matters to God is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God knows those who have faith from those who do not have faith. This is the second sermon in the series entitled One Tiny Seed. We're talking about faith. So open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, knowing that God really only looks for one thing in your life, and and, and that is faith, we really need to understand what faith is. And knowing that the Bible says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith faith, then understand saving faith is really something we have to grasp. This isn't the sort of thing that you can sort of know or maybe hear of, but never fully understand. You've got to understand how faith saves you. You must understand saving faith. So for that, we're going to go to Romans chapter four and look at the man who in scripture is considered the, the father of those who have faith. His name is Abraham. Let's learn from Abraham today. Uh, Book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 1. This is good stuff. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his, say the word, faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their, say the word, faith in God who forgives sinners. Now jump down to verse 13. I'm going to skip all this circumcision stuff. If if you really want that, ask your fathers at home, all right, or or ask your small group leader. I'm going to go to verse 13. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. I love that so much. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he will become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's really good. That's so good. I've told you all about the woman who, who confided in me that she wanted to be cremated when she dies. She just said, you know, you know, Pastor Tim, I want to be cremated, you know, when I die. What do you think about that? I said, well, actually, I, you know, probably I want to be cremated when I die too. Probably I'll do the same thing. She said, good. That's what I was thinking. She said, that's what I was thinking. I've been telling people that, you know, I I think it's a good idea to be cremated. I I I want them to burn me down here so God can't send me to hell. That's one of those moments as a pastor, I just want to jump out a window. I want... I want to let them burn me down here so God can't send me to hell. Uh, in case you're wondering, that's not how any of this works. Now, obviously this woman had a, a strong belief in God. And apparently this woman also had this sense that, that she's on somehow the side of God's wrath, that there may be punishment waiting for her. This sense that that her life is not right with God but but somehow even though I know for a fact that she'd heard the gospel many 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 times it had never really dawned on her how she could be made right with God even at the end of her life she's still looking for a loophole and understand burn me down here so God can't send me to hell That's not the gospel. You understand? The gospel is good news, and it's good news because I think many of us understand the bad news, and that is we are not right with God. There's something profoundly wrong with us, spiritually speaking, and something needs to happen to make us right with God. Something needs to happen to give us an assurance that we are accepted and loved by God, that we do have a home in heaven after we die. But in this present life, we have have a relationship with the God who loves us and cares for us and forgives our, our sins. It's called saving faith. We often talk about getting saved. I think part of our problem though is that we, we really, we, we, our mistake is in the way that we define saved. We tend to think of being saved in terms of minimal requirements. In other words, people typically will ask me questions like, well, what do I need to do to be saved? But what they're asking is, what's the least I can do? I'm interested in salvation, but tell me, you know, how, how low can the bar be set? What do I need to do just to make sure that, that I'm good, that, that I'm in? It, it, it's a minimal sort of requirement. So people just sort of want to know what, 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 what card can I sign? What aisle can I walk? What church do I need to go to? How often should I go to church? I mean, they just want to know what's the least that I can do. In, in the Bible, salvation is never spoken of in those terms. There's never this sense that salvation is for those who just, who, who barely want it, who are vaguely interested in what, what's the least they could do to somehow make peace with God. It's never described in those terms. Salvation is the point of Everything. Salvation is the reason that that God sent his son Jesus to come and and die for us. This whole book is is the story of salvation. It's, It's salvation history. It's God's miraculous and marvelous plan of salvation. Don't you dare say, what's the least I can do to get in? I mean, salvation costs God everything. It costs Jesus his life, his blood. So there's just something a little bit strange about how casually we inquire, you know, what do I need to do? You know, what's the minimal requirement? I need to be baptized. I mean, just tell me... It's it's nowhere described in those terms. Now, verse 1 brings up Abraham, who, who, humanly speaking, is the father of the Jewish nation. But spiritually speaking, he's the father of a great nation. He's the father of all of us who have faith. So, as a father of faith, the question is, what did he discover? What did he discover about being made right with God? So if, if Abraham somehow discovered that, then we can learn from his example. And that's what Romans 4 is spelling out. What did Abraham discover about being made right with God? What did Abraham discover about salvation, about coming into a right relationship with God? What, what can we discover by looking at Abraham? The first thing we notice is that God doesn't give you salvation for the good things you do. I mean, it says right here in verse two, if Abraham's good deeds had made him acceptable to God, then he would have had something to boast about. But that's not God's way. It's not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. He had faith and God counted that as righteousness. So God doesn't give you salvation for the good things you do. I could say this a million times, and some of you and others would never ever understand what this says. God doesn't give you salvation for the good things you do. God doesn't give you salvation for the good things you do. You're not earning salvation by coming to church. You don't earn salvation by being a good person. You don't gain salvation by anything that can be said about you. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You cannot save yourself by trying to turn over a new leaf. You cannot save yourself by by trying to do better, to be better, by being a better man, by, by being a better wife. You can't do it. Salvation is not some sort of reward, some sort of prize for doing good things. This is so hard for people to understand and maybe especially hard for good church people to understand because when it comes right down to it, good church people like you and me, we don't really think of ourselves as sinners. We think of ourselves as good people and therefore God's going to save us because we're good people. But that's not the gospel. That's not what we see in Abraham. Abraham did not not receive a right relationship with God because he was a good guy or because he left his home and followed God on a journey. It's got nothing to do with Abraham other than his faith. Abraham believed God. That's what it says. He just believed God and God counted that as righteousness. God gave him credit for that, for his faith. He gives you forgiveness for the bad things you do. You understand? God doesn't give you salvation for the good things you do. He gives you forgiveness for the bad things you do. And that is by faith. It's by faith. Verse 4, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. It's not about the good things you do. It's about the forgiveness God gives you for the bad things you've done. You're a sinner. It's by faith. It's by faith. Not because of our works, but because of our faith in God. James 2 verse 23 says an amazing thing. Abraham believed God and he was even called the, say the word, friend of God. Okay, Abraham believed. He had faith in God and he was called the friend of God. If I had to put it really, really simply, I I, I think Scripture backs me up on this. You could simply say that faith is friendship with God. Faith is friendship with God. It's friendship. It's a relationship. You're used to hearing that word, but but Scripture uses the word friendship. Abraham believed God became the friend of God. So when you say, what do I need to do? It's not a minimal requirement sort of thing. When Jesus spoke of, of salvation, he spoke of it in terms of, of the very power and presence and favor of God being found in him, in Jesus himself, who is the way, that the, the truth, and, and the life. It's found in Jesus, in, in following after Jesus. It's, it, it's, it's a relationship of trust. It's a relationship of surrender. It's, uh, it's, it's friendship. Friendship with, with God. It's a living relationship. Friends communicate. Friends spend time together. Friends learn to trust. Friends are there good times and, and, and bad times. Understand that there's no friendship that, that's ever been established on the basis of what's the least I can do to hang around you. I mean, can you imagine if your husband proposed to you in that way? Well, what's the least I can do to get you to, to be my wife? How about if I just swing by and have supper at your house two nights a week? Would it ever work that way? If you approach any other relationship in terms of minimal requirements, what's the least I could? What's the least I could do? Maybe a ring and sleep in your bed three nights a week that's more than some of us actually do I mean, I mean let's be honest friendship is, is a different sort of thing and, and, and faith is this friendship faith is, is not a matter of, of earning God's favor it's just simply receiving it as, as a gift he, he's making the offer to you a friendship you respond to that with your faith you believe you believe in his promise of friendship it's, it's, it's beautiful absolutely beautiful clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants, verse 13, was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. Now, at this point, Paul begins to sort of work on this tension that we often find between what we call faith and works faith in works he's established that Abraham's salvation has nothing to do with his works nothing to do with with good deeds it's simply by his faith and is receiving this offer to enter into a friendship with God that's salvation that's salvation salvation comes to us but by faith But, but there's always this idea of then then what are good deeds for but because certainly you wouldn't put a lot of stock in somebody who says they have faith, but, but, but they're, they're rotten people. I mean, this is part of what ruins the reputation of the gospel in our culture, in the world. So many people who claim to be Christians, they live like the devil. And so, obviously, good deeds works have something to do with the Christian faith. The question is, what do they have to do with it? So once more, we look to the example of, of, of Abraham here. Now, the amazing thing is God gives Abraham this invitation. It's an invitation to, 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 to enter into a friendship with him. But it's costly it's an invitation to to come alongside and and have this journey with God his life becomes this 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 journey he, he leaves home he leaves everything he's ever known and he steps out with nothing more than a promise from God that if he will step out leave everything that God will bless him and, and make of him a blessing It's this incredible invitation on a journey without maps. I mean, there's no destination. He just says, you just come and I will show you the land that you're going to. I mean, who goes on a trip like that? Don't really, don't really know where you're going, but God says, I'll just let you know when you get there. In the meanwhile, you just follow me. You just come along with me. It's an incredible invitation. This incredible promise. And Abraham answers with his feet. He answers with his feet. Understand? He goes. He, he went. This is what the Bible says. Abraham believed God and he went. You see, salvation is certainly by faith. Faith is how we how we gain our salvation, but honestly, our, our life of obedience is how you know that you're saved. It's that difference that faith makes. It's that difference that believing God makes. I, I'm telling you, it, it makes a tremendous difference. Now, now, I mentioned this last week. I didn't really go into it. Let's stop and think about it this week. Uh, again, in the book of James, it says, even the demons believe and tremble. Isn't that interesting? Even the demons believe, they believe in God enough to tremble. They know who God is. They know that God is fierce and fearsome and they tremble. So obviously, there's a kind of faith that you can have. You believe in God, but it's not saving faith. It's just enough, you know, to know that there's a God and believe that he's fierce and and all of that. But, But it's not saving faith. My concern would be that some of you in this room or in the cafe or in the sound of my voice, you have the faith of a demon. I'm not saying you're a demon, but you have the kind of faith that demons have where they believe, but it's not salvific. It's not faith that leads to salvation. It's just a sort of um, knowledge that God is there and that God is real. But understand, knowing that God is there and knowing that God is real is not to enter into this friendship with him. It's not to step out and accept his invitation into a totally different way of life. This is faith. God invades Abraham on a journey without maps, and Abraham answers with his feet. This is faith. He answers with his feet. Saving faith is what I would say it's transformational. It transforms you. It it changes you. The devils who believe, they remain devils. You see, nothing changes with them. The fact that they believe in God, they don't then set their life in a different direction to move toward this God who promises them salvation and eternal life. The, the, The faith that they have doesn't move them. It doesn't change their direction. For them, faith is just data. It's information. But but faith is direction. It's not just data. You you understand what I'm saying? It's, It's not just something that you know in your head. And I would go so far as to say it's not even just something you know in your heart. When, when faith is real, when you really enter into a friendship with this God, it changes you. It, it changes you. It actually changes your life. And faith affects what you do. Real faith affects what you do. Again, I spend a lot of time with church people and apparently so do y'all. There are lots and lots of people who tell you what they believe, and sometimes they 'll tell it in church with tears coming down their cheeks i mean they 'll tell you what they believe, but then you watch their life and and, and in that case the, the audio doesn 't match the video you, you know what I mean The words coming out of their mouth don 't match the, the the deeds the the works the the, the, the path that their feet walk on. And and I would just submit to you that your deeds, your works are a much better indication of what you believe than your words, what you actually do, the way you actually live. I'm saying that salvation is is not a matter of works, it's a matter of faith. But if you have real faith, then you will have works. Faith is going to change the way you live your life. Saving faith is actually going to change you. It's going to affect what you do. And I don't just mean it affects your Sunday morning. It doesn't just make you a church person. It's not just going to change your church life. It's going to change your life life. So no matter what you say you believe, your life will show and demonstrate what you believe. You say that you have faith in God, but you do not surrender to him. You don't walk the path that he lays out for your feet. You, you say that you love Jesus, but you live like the devil. I'm telling you, probably that's not saving faith that you have. Even the demons believe. You got to have more faith in the demons. You got to have enough faith to actually change your life and affect what you do. So Abraham receives this promise from God. Verse 16, notice that everything starts with God's promise. Doesn't start with Abraham. Nothing starts with Abraham. Starts with God, and his promise is his amazing invitation to step out and, and, and befriend him. It's absolutely beautiful. But Abraham steps out, Abraham goes, Abraham begins this amazing friendship. So Beautiful things said about Abraham and God in this passage. I absolutely love verse 17. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and brings into existence the things that do not exist. I love that. The God who brings the dead back to life. And speaks into existence of things that do not exist. That is a big God. That's an amazing God. Verse 18. And against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I love that. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Verse 19. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. Now, you remember Abraham's story, right? God gave him a promise. And what was the promise? God took him out one night. said, look up at the sky, the night sky. He said, look at all of those stars. Can you count them? Abraham, that's how many children you're going to have. Okay, y'all say an amen, but what did Abraham do? I mean, what did Abraham think? How old was he at the time? It's like 80. It'd be one thing to say that to a 30-year-old man, but he said it to like an 80-year-old man who's never heard of Viagra, y'all. I mean, you understand? And this whole time Sarah, you know, is somewhere in a tent having a hot flash. And God says, You're gonna have a baby. And-, and-, and out of your loins, I'm gonna bring a great you're gonna have so many kids. It's gonna be like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. And Abraham believes that. He believes that. I mean, this is what the scripture says: against all hope. I mean, he realizes. Look at verse 19. His body's as good as dead, and so is Sarah's womb. That's not a very encouraging assessment of the situation. His body's as good as dead, and Sarah's womb, you know, is, is just dust. But against all hope, Abraham in hope believes. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise, never wavered strong words. In fact, his faith grew stronger. That's what it says. And verse 21, he was fully convinced. Okay, ask you again, do y'all know Abraham's story? Are these the words you would use? Now, just again, go back with me. I mean, God said, look up at the sky, see the stars. And Abraham believed. He, he, he put his faith in God. And God said, leave everything you've ever known. And, and you come and you follow me. And I'm going to take you to a new place. I, I, I'll let you know when you get there. Just come, follow. And Abraham went and he never turned back. He went after this promise from God, and he never turned back. And this is what saving faith looks like. Don't miss that. But it's more complicated than, than it sounds sometimes. It's, it's complicated because it was a long, long time. It was a, it was a long journey. It was a, a long journey with God. And even though God said, you know, hey, Sarah's gonna have a baby, y'all better start knitting some booties. I mean, you need to have a shower right away. Because I mean they did, you know, they they painted the nursery, you know, and and went to Target and registered because they believed, that they believed that that they were gonna have a baby, they believed God. But the thing is, you know, just they got older and older, and you know, Sarah's womb got dustier and dustier, and you know, we ain't gonna talk about Abraham's body, it's like a corpse like the crypt keeper something like 11 years go by according to the story in the Bible Abraham and Sarah I mean I guess they still believe God but you know how it goes they begin exploring artificial reproductive technologies I mean they did Remember, they they got a surrogate, a a woman to have a baby for them because they they had just sort of thinking, you know, maybe God meant, you know, be creative. So they brought in Hagar and Abraham impregnated her. But that wasn't God's plan. In two different episodes on this long, long journey, they would come into town and Abraham would say, hey, let's tell everybody you're my sister. And he would throw Sarah under the bus like that. Uh, once she was taken into the Pharaoh in Egypt, taken into his, his harem, she, was like, she became like a sex slave. I mean, twice Abraham just sort of kicked his wife under the bus like that. One time when God came back and repeated the promise, remember what happened? They laughed. Already they're following this God. Already they've left everything to follow him. But when God repeats it one more time, listen, I'm going to give you a son. Remember, they they laughed and Sarah LOL'd. I mean, she laughed out loud. She laughed out loud to the point where God said, okay, 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 woman, you just better. Remember what they named the son? They named him Isaac, which means laughter. Because that's what everybody's going to do when they see Abraham and Sarah dropping that kid off at school. I mean, you know. Is 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 complicated, you all. When Paul describes it, Abraham's faith did not weaken. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. His faith grew stronger, and he was fully convinced. Fully. Yes, yes, b- because through all of those years, he never went back. He, he, he went the long way sometimes, the longer way than God would have taken him. And, but he never went back. He, he never gave up. He never for a moment thought that God had abandoned his promise. I point this out to you because I know that some of you sitting in this house, when you see words like faith did not weaken, he never wavered, he grew stronger, he was fully convinced that that makes faith sound like something you can't ever achieve you sort of turn faith into a kind of work. In other words, faith becomes something that you've got to be a champion at. You've, you've got to have a lot of it, and you've got to have the best kind of it. And it can't be mixed with any kind of doubt or any kind of complication. You, you just got to never waver, and your faith can only get stronger and stronger and stronger. But that's not how faith works in your heart, and it's not how faith works in my heart. And apparently, that's not exactly how faith works in Abraham's heart either. It's complicated. Faith gets kind of complicated, but let me just say, I'm going to put this slide up here and y'all can't fire me when you see it because you're going to wonder if if I'm still preaching the the truth. But I just got to say this because I believe it with all of my heart, weak faith will save you just the same as strong faith. Weak faith will save you just the same as strong faith. Can I keep my job? Why would I say that? Because it's the object of our faith. faith. Yeah. Never, ever, ever is the emphasis placed on the, the quality of your faith. You've got to have strong faith or God will reject you. No, no, no. Jesus never said that. What did Jesus say exactly? How much faith? Well, a tiny seed, a smidge, just little what if you got a whole lot of doubt mixed with it don't matter what if what if it's just a smidge and 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 what if some days it's just it's just the tiniest little smidge jesus said that's enough it's enough what if my faith is so very weak weak faith will save you just the same as strong faith because you put your faith in a god who can bring the dead back to life. You put your faith in a God who can call into existence things that do not exist. It, it is the bigness of our God. And we put our little bit of faith in him and it is enough. It's, it's enough. Abraham's life gets kind of complicated, and he's the champion. He's the father of our faith. And there are some days his faith seems more impressive than other days, but the point is once he started following this God, he never went back. Once he entered into a friendship with this God, he just tangled up with that God the rest of his life. But I'm telling you, in the end, he got everything that God promised him, weak faith, strong faith, it really doesn't matter. He had faith. He had faith. And you must have faith too. Because when God looks at people, he really only sees two kinds of people. Ones who have faith and the ones who don't. We're not talking about who's got weak faith, who's got strong faith. You and I would put lots of categories in between, but God doesn't see it that way. Either you have faith in him or you don't have faith in him. And if you wonder whether or not your faith is real, well, your life will demonstrate that. Your life will bear that out. If you have true saving faith, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. You'll be walking a different path. Your life will show. If, if, if your life's never been transformed like that, I, I wonder if your faith is saving faith. You should probably examine that yourself. If in your life you've never had that sense of, of hearing an invitation from God to, to step into a relationship with him, a friendship with him... If in all of your life of going to church and, and, and following Jesus, if you've never ever begun something that would seem like a friendship with Jesus, something like a, a relationship where, where you speak and, and you hear him speak, and, and he asks you to do things, and you change what you were going to do in order to follow him. I mean, this is the regular Christian life. And if that doesn't sound like your life, then I'm not sure that what you're talking about is saving faith. It starts with this invitation from God. What does he want from you? What, what, what does he want? Friendship. Friendship. It'll cost you nothing. Everything necessary for this relationship, everything necessary that you can be made right with God, God himself has already provided. He did that through Jesus on the cross. It will cost you nothing to enter into this friendship, but but living out this friendship with him will cost you everything. Everything. And you will in turn receive everything that God promise. Faith, brothers and sisters, is friendship with God. It's not about how much faith or the quality of your faith. We're talking about where you put your faith. You put your faith in this God through Jesus, and you shall be saved. Pray with me. Oh God, as many times as we can preach the gospel, as many times as we can talk about faith and grace and the free gift of salvation, Lord, there's still so many people who are determined to earn it on their own, refusing to surrender, refusing to enter into this friendship, refusing this invitation to grace, Lord. We continue to simply try and grind it out with our own pale goodness, God, I pray that you would convict hearts of sin in this house and in the sound of my voice. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would move hearts to genuine saving faith. Lord Jesus, I pray that today you would extend your invitation to the people in this room. I pray that you extend your invitation to enter into your promises, to step onto a path, Lord, that leads to a life that they can never see or even imagine, Lord, but you promise that in the end it will be eternally good. Lord Jesus, put our feet on that path that leads us straight to you. God, whatever it is that some of us have called faith, whatever it is that some of us has counted as faith, Lord, help us to see that all of our religion, all of our church attendance, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. Help us, Lord, to see that the only thing worthy, the only thing that that matters is the precious blood of Jesus that has purchased our friendship with you. Jesus, I pray that today hearts would respond to your promise. Hearts would respond to your invitation. Lord, I pray that while we walked in one way, I pray that we will walk out of this place today as friends of God. Friends with God. In Jesus' name, amen.